When it comes to coffee's effects, not all of us are jumping for caffeine. Why is it that some can down espressos at night and sleep soundly, while others get the jitters from a sip of tea? The answer? It lies in our DNA, the CYP1A2 gene, which controls an enzyme that breaks down caffeine. The variants determine whether you metabolize caffeine quickly or slowly, according to the Washington Post. This is Pulse Check. I'm Lauren Gardner. Global deaths from strokes could increase to nearly 10 million a year by 2050, a new report warns. According to the World Stroke Organization and the Lancet Neurology Commission, that burden will increasingly fall on low- and middle-income countries, while stroke deaths in high-income countries are expected to stay stagnant. If those projections hold, treatment, rehabilitation, and other indirect costs of strokes could hit $2.3 trillion in 2050, up from $891 billion in 2017. The FDA announced it's creating an advisory committee that will provide outside expertise on digital health technologies, including artificial intelligence, digital therapeutics, and wearables. The agency is asking for nominations for industry representatives, consumer organizations, and voting members to the new panel, which it aims to have fully operational in 2024. And the battle over abortion rights is heating up in Ohio, with voters set to decide next month whether to enshrine reproductive protections in the state constitution. Politico healthcare reporter Alice Miranda Olstein is here to explain what's at stake and how this vote might impact the national debate. Great to join. You've been covering the abortion landscape since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and you just got back from Ohio, where you went to find out the latest on how the Buckeye State is grappling with its abortion rights referendum. So the anti-abortion side in Ohio seems to be using some different tactics compared to previous state votes. What strategies are they using here? Yeah, so some of the reason that the anti-abortion side thinks they can win in Ohio, even though they've lost in every single other state so far, some of those things are based on strategies that they're using. And some of them are based on sort of just more structural advantages that we can get into. But first on the strategies, it was really interesting to me. They are deliberately going after groups of voters that they feel the anti-abortion side has maybe neglected or sort of written off in these other state contests. So in particular, students and voters of color, especially Black communities. I saw a lot of deliberate student outreach on campuses. I went to one of their events at the Ohio State University campus, and they're doing ones all across Ohio. And they also are doing a lot of outreach to Black churches and encouraging African-American pastors to mobilize their congregations against this referendum that would put abortion protections in the state constitution. And they feel that in the states that voted last year, there wasn't enough efforts on either of those fronts. Also, a lot of times when you have a election like this, both sides are basically just focused on turning out their base. And what you're really seeing in Ohio right now is the anti-abortion side, sort of an acknowledgement that just turning out their base isn't enough votes. So they're really going after people who might say they support abortion rights and they're trying trying to convince them that, hey, maybe you support abortion rights, but this amendment, they want to convince people that it goes too far. So it was really interesting to see that playing out. And based on your reporting and being on the ground, how were some of these groups, like students, how were they perceiving the anti-abortion argument? 
it was very interesting to see students get seemingly won over by some of these arguments anti-abortion groups are making. And I will say there's also just a ton of confusion right now. Ohio held a special election in August to make referendums like this more difficult. That didn't pass, but that vote was called issue one. This vote is also called issue one and the sides are flipped now. So all of the abortion rights groups were telling people vote no on issue one in August. And now they're turning around and telling people vote yes on issue one. And that's really confusing. And I heard a ton of students saying, wait, didn't we just vote on this? Wait, which side is yes and which side is no? And it really seems that confusion could have an impact on the results. Additionally, this message that these groups are giving to students that even though you may support abortion rights, you know, this amendment goes too far. That seemed to be convincing for some people. So one thing that they were telling students that was pretty misleading was voting no on the amendment keeps abortion legal in the state up to about 20 two weeks of pregnancy. So that's only the case because the state's six-week ban is blocked in court, but it could easily become unblocked in court in the coming months, and they were not really telling students that. You also mentioned in your reporting that there have been efforts by Republican state officials that could potentially confuse voters, like changing the ballot measure language. Can you talk about that and how that's being perceived by voters? Republicans control Ohio right now. They hold all of the top offices. They have a sort of supermajority in the state legislature. And that is having an impact here because they get to make the rules. And so one of the ways that abortion rights groups minds they're putting their thumb on the scale is the Republican state officials got to create the ballot summary language. So basically summarizing what this amendment would do, which is what voters are going to read when they go to the polls to vote on it. And they made changes to the language the abortion rights group submitted. And those changes, people are concerned, will confuse and mislead voters. So one of the changes was they replaced the word fetus with unborn child. Some people feel that that language is more loaded and trying to dissuade people from supporting abortion. They also changed the ballot language so that it only mentions abortion rights when the amendment would also protect other kinds of reproductive health, like fertility treatments, like contraception, like all these other things. And so they felt that that was also designed to sway people to vote against it. So looking ahead, how might Ohio's vote outcome affect both sides' campaigns around abortion in the 2024 presidential debate? Both sides really see this as an important test. It's really the last important test before 2024 of where voters are on this issue. And yes, we saw the pro-abortion rights side win in every single state where this came up for a vote last year. So this will be a test of if that's still the case. You know, we were talking about whether the anti-abortion side is changing their tactics based on those losses. And I think it could really shape how the campaigns play out next year, where of similar referendums are expected to to be on the ballot in really major swing states, states that could decide the presidential election like Florida and Arizona and Missouri. So I think that is one major reason why everybody is keeping a close eye on Ohio. All right. Well, thanks, Alice, for walking us through your reporting on the ground in Ohio. Thanks so much for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah is our producer. Annie Reese and Alex Keeney are our senior producers. Kara Tabor is an editor for Pulse Check. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. I'm Lauren Gardner. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day.
and subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting, Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.